Welcome to the All Things Nintendo podcast. I'm Brian Shea from Game Informer, and this is a weekly podcast to discuss all the biggest news and games from the world of Nintendo. I am currently traveling for a game preview, and then I'm going to be out at Summer Game Fest next week, so this episode is actually pre-recorded, so as such, we're going to skip the news segment and just do a full episode of listener Q&A. Joining me for this episode is a first-time All Things Nintendo guest, Editor-in-Chief of Game Informer, Matt Miller. Matt, how are you doing today? Hey, Brian. I am doing great. I'm happy to get to talk some Nintendo stuff today. Yeah, it's, it's wild that we've been going. This is the 86th episode of All Things Nintendo, and I've yet to have you on. The, the person I've worked with the most <laughs> at Game Informer, yeah. and I have not had you on yet. I think it's just it's probably just a, a, a matter of scheduling and a matter of you just haven't like reviewed a Nintendo game in a while, and yeah, just... Uh, a, a cornucopia of reasons, but we're finally making time for it this episode, and I'm, I'm excited to have you on. Yeah, I don't. I mean, I don't think it's it's uh, uh, coincidence, right? Like uh, it's been a busy stretch uh, uh, as we've been uh, kind of uh, adjusting to things, and me stepping up into the EIC role recently, and uh, you know that has taken a lot of my time. It's nice to be back at a place where I have a little bit more flexibility to be able to hop in and uh, um, do some shows and um, let my voice be heard and all that kind of stuff. So I appreciate you uh, pulling me in here. Yeah, I'm happy I could have you. I'm happy we could find a time that worked because as I said, I am currently on or on a plane probably while people are listening to this <laughs> yeah, yeah. on the way back from California. I'd like it um, if you were actually on the plane right now. I think that would be rad. <laughs> they but, explicitly uh, forbid you from recording podcasts <laughs> and taking audio calls on planes. Uh, yeah. Despite the uh, proliferation of free Wi-Fi on flights, which is just a, the greatest thing ever, by the way. I'm so mm-hmm. happy that's like becoming more commonplace. Um, but before we really get into the meat of this episode, uh, longtime listeners will know that if it's your first episode of All Things Nintendo... We let the listeners get to know you through the lens of Nintendo. So this is a segment called First Nintendo Game, Favorite Nintendo Game. We've done it with everybody from the voice actor of Ash Ketchum to Reggie fils So, Matt, you are joining this time-honored tradition. So the first part of that is what was the first Nintendo game that you remember playing, you remember seeing, something that just sticks out in your mind is like, oh, that's my first memory with Nintendo. Yeah, my, my first memory with Nintendo, uh, I would bet, was after I had maybe, uh, um, there were there's less distinct memories I have from early childhood of, uh, you know, playing at a friend's house or seeing the game, you know, trying out Duck Hunt and stuff like that and mm-hmm. Mario. But uh, I can remember getting my uh ness at christmas time that my parents gave gave to my brother and i i mean it had to have been i was maybe six something like that mm-hmm. um and just longed for being able to uh to play this game and you know it was the came with the pack-in of super mario brothers um and and just rapturous joy right um <laughs> getting that thing because it was you know in that moment it was it was sort of the definitive thing that you wanted in your house right if you were a kid of that era you wanted to have a nintendo entertainment system in your house and be able to play super mario brothers uh and uh being able to plug that thing into the tv and um you know little tiny tv of course um that was that was set up in our in our like playroom or whatever and uh and, and play through the early levels and just die constantly because I was terrible at it. <laughs> um, get, got really familiar with 1-1. Um, 
And uh, I, so that's that is the memory that really sticks uh, for me. Do you think at any point in your life you could have navigated one one with your eyes closed? Mm, uh, I don't know. I bet I could get pretty close with like a little bit of practice. You know, like like it's not the sort of thing I could go in and um, uh, and just be like, oh yeah, yeah, I could I could totally close my eyes and do that. But I bet if I like if I closed my eyes and I started playing. I would know where the pipes are, right? Like, mm-hmm. and I would, I would be like, okay, well, there's a Goomba here. I should jump. Oh, I missed it that time. It needs to be a little earlier that I jump. Uh, and I bet with a practice, I could, pr- with some practice, I could probably get there. Um, that said, um, uh, I think it was not the Mario game I played the most. Really? Is that is that the second answer to this, it or is, is that I'm, I'm creating a segue here? Ah, very right. good. Um, uh, so I guess that leads to the second part, which is what is your favorite Nintendo game of all time? Yeah, this it it it's sort of a segue. I I think Super Mario World is the game I played the most of because by that point you cut to a few years later. Um, I was a kid who was like by that time I was like really into playing Nintendo. I had my Super Nintendo at home. I got Super Mario World, and I just, like, played the heck out of that game. Um, and probably played it through to completion, I don't know, like a dozen times or something like that. Um, and and I, it would be that thing that I'd get home from school and just turn it on and, and just play levels. Um, and uh, so it's probably, you know, like, it, it's always hard when you when you look back on, on games... Um, uh, what what's your favorite game now, right? Is a little different than like if you're really honest with yourself about the the games that you played the most and that were your favorite in certain moments of time. So mm-hmm. those are kind they can kind of be different answers. But Super Mario World was a fixture of that era of my childhood. It's fair to say. Um, I mean, that, and that's I, where I got my chops really in like platforming mm-hmm. and everything because that was the first console I ever owned. I, I still remember getting my SNES with Super Mario World for Christmas. Yeah. I always played friends NESs. I never had one of my own. I was too, I was stuck playing avoid the noid on my family's computer <laughs> and it just wasn't, it wasn't it. Right. Yeah, <laughs> like I was like, it. there has to be something better. And I'd go over to a friend's house who had NES and I'd play like Mario two or whatever game they were renting. I'd even rent games to bring over to their house. Yeah. And I'd be like, I got Ninja Gaiden and we'd play that or whatever it was. And it was, um, owning a console and being able to just like, beat a game on repeat was just such a joy for me at that era. I mean, the, you, you may, I know it's a, we're on the sidetrack here for a second, but man, the renting of video games at the local video store was <sighs> such a phenomenon for me. A treat. I, I adored that experience, you know, like you'd go, I'm sure there's lots of people who have this memory more about films and the fun of like going into a store and like cruising along, looking at the movies. But for me, it was a hundred percent going in and just making a beeline for where their games were to see if there was something there that I hadn't played yet that uh-huh. I could bring home and and try to like smash my way through over like the two days that I that I had it um, before my my mom or dad had to like take it back. Mm-hmm. Uh, man, that, that was uh, it was good times. I mean, of course, you know, th- these days it's much more like y- you go through a digital marketplace. And you have much more selection, uh, which is pretty cool. Um, that was that was how I discovered A Link to the Past. Oh, wow. Because one of my first games I ever played was the, the original Legend of Zelda. And I was like, oh, well, that was fun. 
And then I remember like my family had recently moved to Florida. We had, we had, my dad had a, a very temporary job down in Florida. So we moved there for six months and I, you know, I didn't have any friends or anything. My parents, okay, let's go to the, the rental store. And we went over there and I remember somebody had mentioned like, and I, yeah, I would read like, you know, Nintendo power and electronic gaming monthly and game pro. So I was like barely up to date. And I remember like mentions of a new Zelda game for super Nintendo and somebody had just brought it back. And like, mm. I was like, Oh, like, can I rent that? And they're like, yeah, you can like it. They just brought it. I let me check it in and I can check it out to you. And I, I remember taking that home, like the first week or two that I was in Florida, like with no friends at all. I was the new kid in school and just playing the heck out of the legend of Zelda a link to the past. And like, this is amazing. I don't, I don't think I got very far at all in that game. Cause like it was kind of obscure and I was more used to like the kind of straightforward platforming of like sure. Mario world or, uh, Sonic two or whatever game I was playing at that point. And yeah, so that was kind of my introduction into like, I mean, aside from the original legends auto, which again, I never really got super far as a kid in yeah. that game, but like, it was like, that was mind blowing for me. And it, it was all thanks to a rental store. Yeah. They were great. Um, so, you know, super Mario world, uh, probably, probably the one that I poured the most time into that would, that I have the, the most fond memories of there was a, with that said, there was a long stretch of time, um, that I would count Ocarina of time as mm-hmm. my like favorite game of all time, not just Nintendo. Like I really loved Ocarina. That was a game that, uh, when I first played it, um, I I remember just being so wowed by what it was doing and the sort of movement back and forth between the child and adult um, version of the character. And, you know, something that maybe isn't talked about as much uh, because it was unique to some of us who were at like a certain age at that point was that like that had that added punch to it if you were playing it when you were in the process of kind of like going from being a kid to being a grown up, you know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, and, uh, and I was, I was part of that generation, right? Like you'd, uh, and, and so it, it, on a subconscious level, I think it hit home for me of the way that, um, you, you had these kind of two different characters that were the same character, but they were influencing each other and what they would become and all that kind of stuff. And all that sort of vibed in a way that was, hard to articulate at the time, I think, but looking back on it, I recognize it. And, um, and so it really, it really sticks with me. It's a, it's a very strong metaphor for how life is like, you know, when <laughs> yeah, you're yeah. a kid, it's, it's all sunny and goofy people and Castletown is blooming and right. just all kinds of fun stuff going on, fun music. And then you turn into an adult and suddenly Ganondorf runs the world <laughs> and everything's dark and cloudy. And yeah, it's, it's, there's some, some parallels to real life in there, huh? It, it is. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so I, I, uh, I have very fond memories. So I, I, I guess I got a, I'm maybe copying out here by saying that I've got two. Um, but I think that's my answer. Well, yeah, those were my two favorite for the longest time as well. So I, I'm not going to disparage your, your opinion there. Okay. Sounds good. Um, so before we jump into the listener Q and a, which is going to be the bulk of this, I just wanted to give some quick impressions of a game I've been playing on my switch and it comes out the day you're actually listening to this episode. And I'm not quite at the point where I can give a full review on GameInformer.com, but I have a feeling that it's going to end up getting lost in the shuffle of summer game fest. If we don't talk about it on this episode today, that game is super mega baseball four. 
So I talked about it a couple times in like some of the news beats on on this uh, the show, but basically it's like an EA Sports owned indie studio, and they've put out three entries without EA Sports. Then EA Sports acquired them, and this is the first time they're putting out a baseball game under the umbrella of EA Sports, and it's uh, it's a very solid game. It so far I'm having a great time with it. the The gameplay is very reminiscent of kind of like the 90s arcade style baseball games like you think of like all the games that appeared on like SNES or Sega Genesis those that's like kind of the gameplay style you get but with like kind of modernized cartoony graphics um very very simplistic gameplay scheme very simplistic in terms of like the options like you're not gonna have a billion camera options you don't have like the ability like in MLB the show where you can customize every aspect of the experience However, you can customize just any part of the league, of the the players. There's uh, like 200 plus actual like legends in the game, like like retired baseball players. And that's actually like new to this series. Normally, it's just fictional players. And all the fictional players from past games are in this as well. And you can create like kind of like dream teams of like the legends and the fictional players if you're like a fan of the series. So that's cool. You can also create like an infinite number of players. And I actually did spend a decent amount of time. I, I I took all the legends and I was like, all right, what players that I love from like back when I was obsessed with baseball in like the 90s and early 2000s aren't in this game. And I created a team full of like the missing players like Cal Ripken and Ken Griffey Jr. and all my favorite players from that era. And then what you can do is actually create a franchise mode and do like a fantasy draft with this pool of players. So it was like, and it does kind of like a roguelite mechanic where it gives you like, instead of being able to choose any player that's available, it kind of shuffles like a deck of cards and says, all right, here are six cards with a different player in each one, choose which one you need the most. And then after you choose that from that pool of players, it shuffles the deck again and gives you six more cards. So it's not just like a straight up like draft. And although I think that that option does exist if you want to do that, but I really had a good time with that type of like kind of roguelite, structure in terms of like the draft and like kind of like almost like a tcg deck builder almost in terms of like building your team i I really enjoyed that part of it like i said there are some limited options in terms of like how you how the gameplay actually works like there's not multiple control schemes or anything like that um the options are, are kind of lacking on the switch version in particular the 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 gameplay itself is actually pretty solid but in the menus i noticed a lot of lag And there was actually a moment where I was playing and I thought that my switch was bricked because I went to go load into a menu and it just kind of turned off and I couldn't get it to turn back on. That's not good. And I was like, "Uh oh, and I I looked up how to do like a hard reset. And like, it's like you hold like the, the plus minus and power button at the same time, like the plus volume, minus volume and power button. And that ultimately made it. So my switch turned back on. I was like, oh, thank God, because that would have been bad. Um, especially since I host a weekly Nintendo podcast (laughs) and, uh, yeah, there's some like muddy textures, like the, the graphics aren't the sharpest, but you know, for what it is, which is again, a very cartoony appearance, it's, it's good. The presentation is pretty lackluster, I would say, especially when compared against something as polished and amazing as MLB the show. But overall, you know, I'm having a really good time with super mega baseball Four. I think it's a good complimentary game to the ultra realistic sim that is MLB the show 
23. I think that's what we're on. I just reviewed it a couple months ago, but I think that's the number that we are currently on is 23. And um, yeah, I, I recommend it for people who are looking for something like maybe a little bit more nostalgic in terms of like the gameplay. Like I know I would, I've mentioned this a couple times where like I would love triple play gold, which I think was like EA sports triple play 96 or 97 on Sega Genesis. I would love if they just re-released that with like HD textures and modern baseball roster. Cause I love the gameplay of that so much. This comes a lot closer to that than like MLB, the show's retro mode, which I also really like retro mode over in MLB, the show, but this is a really solid kind of like arcade style baseball game. And I recommend people check it out. Yeah. So, you know, go ahead. Uh, I'm just, I'm always curious about, about those, those games. It does feel like, um, you know, every once in a while we get one of these arcade, more arcade style um, uh, releases for a major uh, sport. And, you know, it's, I always question, like, is it is it really competing against a game like the show or not? Right. Like, um, is it an alternative for people who like that? The depth that is present in that other game is is almost too much or they're maybe looking to play with family Right. Like which almost certainly, I mean, if you were to say, like, which one of these would you play with your kids? You'd probably say Super Mega Baseball. Right. Yeah. I think if you're if you're looking unless like the kid is like a diehard, like right, right. Baseball nerd the way I was like growing up, like I was so into baseball. Like I think I've told the story in a recent episode where I would like literally get the newspaper every morning and look at like the transactions page <laughs> and be like, Oh, this player got traded to the Mets. I need to do that in my game. So I have the sure. most up to date roster. Like that's how into baseball I was. I would say for something like that, MLB, the show is the way to go, course, but like anything short of that, if it's like a kid, I would say that super mega baseball four is probably the pick. Yeah. Um, I, I, you know, I, one of the things I don't have a great insight into is, um, how well games like that do. I, I mean, purely on a, on like a financial level, um, they're almost certainly a lower investment for both the developer and the publisher than some of those really, you know, high fidelity, um, yearly, you know, sort of yearly sports releases, right? Mm-hmm. Those, those are undoubtedly very, very expensive, um, to pull together. Um, and so probably the return that they need to make them worthwhile is also a little lower. Um, I would imagine so. And clearly they're doing well for themselves that like, mm-hmm. and EA Sports saw a lot of potential because they acquired yeah. the studio and the IP. I don't, I mean, yeah. I don't know if they actually acquired the IP, but they acquired the studio that makes the game. Sure. So the IP is at least under their umbrella for the time being. I don't know if it's going to be like, kind of like a, a destiny bungee type situation oh, yeah, where maybe sure. they escape the, the umbrella. But like, it's nice that like everybody worried when EA Sports acquired metalhead studios and uh-huh. super mega baseball that like oh here come the microtransactions you know like the reputation yeah, that EA sure. kind of garnered especially in like the mid to late 2000s where it was like everything had to have multiplayer everything had to have microtransactions and i'm pretty pleased that there have not been any like indications of microtransactions in my time playing the game and a lot of my time has been spent in franchise mode and like customizing i probably spent no lie three hours, four hours, maybe customizing that team full of players. I just sat down with a podcast Mm -hmm. and like went like through and like added all these players. And that was like such a nostalgic experience for me because like I said, I used to do that with like the newspaper. It's like, Oh, they signed this, they they drafted this player. I should add him into the game. And it's, it's kind of cool to go back to that. I almost like, it was something I, I missed that kind of the, the live roster 
mechanics of that like the internet has afforded us where it's like you start up a game it automatically has the most up-to-date rosters because it's just everything's server-based now right and it's something that i haven't had a chance to really do and i'm I'm sure i could turn off like the live updating on mlb the show but then it's like well i could i'm just wasting time at that point (laughs) so it's like it's weird like they took away like one of the modern conveniences of having like real ML, like the MLB PA license. Yeah. yeah. So I can just add these players in myself and it's, it's nice to be able to do that. Um, but yeah, it's, it's out today as people are listening to this uh, when this episode comes out on pretty much all major platforms. I haven't had a chance to try like the PS five or the Xbox series X version, but I'm sure they probably do run a little bit better. I know that there is an option for prioritizing frame rate or textures I chose the frame rate just because I, I think that's the superior option in almost every situation anyway. Cause it's like, if you could have it running at a steady frame rate or like, you know, hit 60 frames per second, I think that's almost always the, the preferred option, especially in like something that requires like precise timing, like a baseball game or like I did it for Sonic frontiers when I was playing that, because like, you know, that's such like a, you want a smooth experience when you're running at such, such high speeds. Yeah, I, I I switch back and forth. Uh, I I'm I'm of the mindset you just described. It depends on the game for me. Mm-hmm. Um, if I if I want uh, the the precision that is supported by having that higher frame rate, um, mm-hmm. I know for some people it's almost painful, right? If you don't prioritize the frame rate, and I uh, almost like a. Um, a, uh, I, I had m- musician friends growing up who were like, who had uh, perfect pitch and it was actually sometimes kind of a curse because anytime something was off pitch, it drove them crazy. Right. <laughs> I think it's similar, like for the folks who've gotten to the point where seeing a low frame rate, just like is borderline physically painful. Uh, it's kind of a curse. Um, for me, I, I don't tend to feel that way if it's a game that, do- that it's not like profoundly affected by that. And I'm, I will sometimes prioritize the, like oh I, I really like the just the quality of the graphics being higher right so I, I don't know I flip back and forth myself yeah I just I think that um, with a game like this on yeah. Switch I, I just don't think that the 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 option is really doing a whole lot I think sure. that maybe on a PS5 or an Xbox Series X or even like a high end PC that effect might be a bit more profound yeah but on the Switch it's probably a, a negligible boost on either end sure sure um, but yeah that's Super Mega Baseball Four again we. I wish I could come back for my full review, but we're about to be just consumed by (laughs) summer game fest news. And that's why now is the perfect time to actually do this. Uh, We have a ton of questions sent in by listeners and members of the game informer community. And we're going to go for probably just under an hour more hitting as many of these as possible. And if you'd like the chance to get your questions in for a future episode of all things, Nintendo, you can send them in all things, Nintendo at GameInformer.com or join the Game Informer Community Discord, or you can just do what other people have done and hit me up on Instagram. That is at Brian Pichet on Instagram. So uh, this actually is pretty much in line with like what we've already talked about. This is from Ace Killick, aka Cody Gibson, on the Game Informer Community Discord. Uh, He said, Thanks to the first and favorite Nintendo game segment, when bringing on a first-time guest, you've discussed quite a bit of people's Nintendo experience, and I really enjoy digging into that. My question is a bit of an accompanying one in that along with first and favorite, do you have a separate comfort Nintendo game for a lot of folks? I would bet it's probably in line with favorite, but I thought it would be an interesting topic. Love the show. Keep up the great work. So do you have a kind of a comfort Nintendo game that you go to? I know you, you play a lot of destiny. 
Um, I know for a while I was playing a whole lot of Overwatch, but neither of those are really Nintendo games. <laughs> I mean, at least Overwatch is on Nintendo. But do you have a, a Nintendo game that you can kind of just like, I want to play something quick and easy or something that like is going to make you feel the warm and fuzzies? <laughs> yeah, you know, right now, the closest thing to that, I think, is probably Super Mario Odyssey. Mm. Um, I keep that consistently uh, up on my Switch and... Um, I I find that game to be bite-sized enough, right? Like you could go in and uh, and just do one um, uh, section very quickly, right? Like you go to one of the kingdoms and and uh, and complete a, a, a single run at a um, uh, a moon, right? I think they're mm-hmm. moons in that game, right? Um, uh, they swim together in my head right now, by the way, because I'm I'm been playing a bunch of mario games with my kid uh but uh odyssey has that quality of like being very easy to get back in that way um and just um uh it instantly feeling familiar and fun and welcoming um so i i do that a lot yeah i mean that's a great pick i i still fire that up from time to time i started a replay of it and then i just got completely distracted by something else, which a lot of listeners will notice is a theme of my gameplay habits. <laughs> it's like, I'll play something and it's like, oh, a review game has come in or, oh, Tears of the Kingdom is out now. So I need sure. to drop everything and play that. Um, but yeah, I, I think that mine is another Mario game and it's one we've talked about already, Super Mario World. Whenever I get on a flight and I don't know what to play, <clears throat> if I get my Switch out, it's like I'm usually going to fire up the Switch online and go over to Mario World and just play a few levels of that. Yeah. And that's just always a fun time. Like, it's just such a great game, such a solid game to play through. And it's you can play it in bite-sized chunks. I don't usually do marathon gaming sessions on flights. Usually, like, I don't know. I, I'm never in the mood to game when I'm on a flight. Usually, I'll just, like, look out the window like a dummy after spending an hour <laughs> the night before probably loading up my Switch with, like, all the games that I want to play. And then when I get on the flight, I'm like, nah, I'm just going to listen to a podcast and look out the right. window for three hours. Right. Um, yeah, but yeah. yeah, Mario World's a great option. I, I also play a lot of Sonic Mania on my hmm. Switch, which probably doesn't surprise a whole lot of people. But yeah, Sonic Mania is another kind of in that same vein where it's it's just like I can fire it up, play a few levels and be like, oh, yeah, that's really great. And then turn my Switch off and then go back to my window staring business. Yeah, for sure. You know, I, I will say you could the other way you could take that question that's been put forward here is um is like longer term comfort games like the thing you return to a lot and for me mm-hmm. that might be super metroid uh-huh. um i go back and i think i pl- i've played super metroid once every few years i wait until like all of the uh like until there are details that are fuzzy for me so that, that you know, like the memory has made some things kind of fade enough mm-hmm. that it's not just going to be completely uh rote um, and then I'll, I literally like plug back in my old system and, and do a full playthrough. It doesn't take super long, but it takes a little while, especially if you've been away from it for a few years. Um, and so it's not like a game that I, you know, it's not like I'm popping it in every month and, and, oh yeah, I play Super Metroid 500 times or something like that. <laughs> it's more that I'll, I'll play it all the way through once every, I don't know three years, five years, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. I love that game. It's so good. I mean, if you want to go down that route in terms of like describing it as a comfort game, it's probably either Ocarina of Time or Final Fantasy X. 
Mm. I just play those games ad nauseum. Like I play, yeah. I've beaten them. So many, I mean, maybe even Pokemon red slash blue. Mm. Like those games are just the ones that I've beaten probably the most times in my life. Sure. sure. And like, if you want to just describe it as that, I mean, also you could probably add breath of the wild to that list, even though I've only beaten it twice. It's like, I, I can just always go back and I'm interested to see how it will feel going back to breath of the wild after everything that tears of the kingdom delivered. I was wondering about that exact same thing the other day. Um, I was one of the, the rare few who like breath of the wild, I thought was very good. Um, but it didn't completely take over my world the way that it did for a lot of people. Right. I think a lot of people were like, this is one of the greatest games of all time. And mm-hmm. it didn't land that way for me at the time that it launched. Um, uh, and whereas Tears of the Kingdom, I actually, I, I like Tears better um, thus far. I, I, I'm not finished with it yet, but I think the creativity of the, the building mechanics in that game really push it over the edge. It's amazing. Uh, and uh, and so just, I get more excited about that game than I did Breath of the Wild. But it's made me wonder, right? Like, I maybe, maybe I'll go back and try Breath again um, and see if my, my sentiment about it is either... Um, gone up or maybe down even right like uh, if after having played through that stuff that i like so much about tears i may go back to breath of the wild and be like you know i don't even i don't i like this even less now i'm kind of curious <laughs> yeah i mean it's gonna be it's it's every once in a while a sequel will come out and you're like oh my god like how did we ever play the the previous game without these mechanics yeah. and i think yeah. like one example was like god of war ragnarok that added a lot of stuff sure. that like really improved traversal i think jedi survivors another example where it's like the implementation of like that grapple hook mm-hmm. that he has is just it fundamentally changes the way you progress through the world sure and i'm interested to see like what it would feel like to explore that hyrule one without having to worry about the sky islands or the depths mm-hmm. but also like without ascend and without fuse like oh i have a crappy weapon oh i can just fuse it and make it better and no that's not an option anymore yeah yeah like i don't know like it, it would be in, I, i'm gonna have to like take a like a, another playthrough because I, I wrote a piece a couple years ago it's basically like even after these years like going back to breath of the wild is still as magical as i remember it i'm wondering if it still would be in a post tears of the kingdom world that's that's a very interesting thought experiment and i mean eventually i'm gonna have to actually do the experiment i think (laughs) um but kind of on that same note uh, one of my good buddies from college actually wrote me a dm asking a question uh this is from armando from uh my my college he said are there any plans for future legend of zelda tears the kingdom dlc and will there be an upcoming nintendo direct so the two separate questions um i think let's address the easy one i think almost certainly there's a, a nintendo direct coming in these summer months i think nintendo even when they're not taking part in something like E3 or Summer Game Fest, they have shown that they still do a corresponding Nintendo Direct. I think last year it was actually like a couple weeks after the Summer Game Fest festivity. I think they, they were at the end of June instead of like the middle of June. But they mm-hmm. still did one. And it was like kind of like giving us a bunch of information about the game still to come through the end of 2022. And I think that's probably what we're going to get in uh, either the middle or end of June in 2023. I think we're going to probably get a, a big old summertime nintendo direct as we've always gotten i i hope so um i i think my hope uh much as i'm i'm I'm, uh i think it would be great if there's some more dlc coming for tears um the thing i may be more excited about is with that game's release out of the way i'm hopeful that some of the other things that nintendo is likely doing 
um, might finally get some prime time, right? Like, yeah. uh, not least of which, I mean, we've, t- we've talked a lot about Mario, uh, already t- today, but, uh, it does feel to me like it's been a while since we've seen, seen Mario show up in a, in like a major, uh, game release. I mean, that's um, my big prediction for whatever the summertime Nintendo direct right? is. I mean, last week's episode was, Hey, w- now that tears, of the kingdom is out of the way, what does the rest of Nintendo's 2023 look like? And there's not a not a whole lot coming from like Nintendo themselves. It's like a Splatoon three expansion, yeah, two Pokemon expansions, and Pikmin four, and that's pretty much all they have. Like in terms of like Nintendo developed stuff, or like I guess first party slash second party in announced. the case of Game Freak that they've announced. Yes. So, you know, we almost certainly will have a a ton of announcements now that Tears of the Kingdom and like all the marketing engines have been revving for that game. They're <laughs> yeah, going to start yeah. kind of go, you know, maybe diverting some of those engines over to some other things. But on the front of like Tears of the Kingdom DLC, I think it would be wild if we did not get DLC, especially since Breath of the Wild got a, piece, a few pieces of DLC. They got the, the Master Trials and they got the Champions Ballad. And, you know, that ultimately gave us the Master Cycle and a few other things that like you could only get through the DLC. And I... Uh, the, the the distinguishing factor here, though, is that when and of course, like any developer is going to say this, but when talking to Eiji Aonuma and Hidemaru Fujibayashi, who's the producer and director of Tears of the Kingdom and Breath of the Wild, they told me like, you know, when we wrapped up Breath of the Wild, we had all these ideas left over and we wanted to like, you know, we wanted to make something else. Some of that turned out to be DLC. Some of it turned out to be the the sequel or like kind of like the seed that was planted to make the sequel Mm -hmm. with tears of the kingdom they were like yeah we kind of put all of our major ideas into this game that's why it took so long to develop it you know six years later is finally out and they said like you know pretty much all we had left over were some like very 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 early concepts for like abilities that didn't make it even into like the conceptualization phase and some zonai devices that we thought might be overwhelming if we put too many of them in there <laughs> yeah. so it's like all right well maybe they'll put out like a a, a story kind of like epilogue or something like that like i don't know like what else they could really do unless they have some additional revolutionary ideas which you can never really discount nintendo when it comes to revolutionary ideas yeah it'll be interesting to see there's no doubt though that that game has been phenomenally successful in a way that's hard to wrap one's head around uh, and that uh, Nintendo's like a, a game that does as well in and around launch as Tears of the Kingdom did for Nintendo, unlike a lot of other publishers, there's something about Nintendo games that that sales keep happening, right? Yeah. Uh, other game publishers, I think, long to crack the code that Nintendo has there, right? Because you'll look at at sales numbers on a given title, and I guarantee you tears will be among them. Uh, and months down the line, it's still just going strong. Um, so it feels like to not try to capitalize that, uh, you know, that that big audience, try to capitalize on uh, the folks who have it and love it would be a missed opportunity. Yeah, and it's it's one of those things where it's like in the first weekend it already sold a third of the total sales (laughs) of breath of the wild yeah yeah and you know it's only going to keep going and this is a game that is highly motivating to people and highly self-marketable because people will do crazy stuff in it 
and then share it on social media because yeah. that is a perfect social media game. Like I can't tell you how many times I fire up Instagram and the suggested reels are like, hey, look what this guy did in Tears of the Kingdom. And it's yeah. like, wow, I never even thought of that. That's cool. That makes me want to go play it. Even though I've I've already put 70 plus hours into it. It's like it it motivates me to go play it some more. And I'd imagine it has the same effect on people who don't own the game already. So they probably are like, fine, fine I'll buy this game. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. I just saw a thing where somebody, it was like, we, we created the most dangerous shape and it spat in the face of the God's wrath. And <laughs> it was like, they used ultra hand to create this like Mickey mouse character, like Mickey mouse building. And then immediately it was struck by lightning and destroyed. <laughs> and that made me want to go like mess around in Tears of the Kingdom because it's just like a fun game to experiment yeah. with. Yeah, for sure. Um, so the next question comes from Svenstagram Live on Instagram. And uh, this is actually kind of like adjacent to a maybe the most popular topic, which is kind of Nintendo's stance that they've taken against some of the community endeavors in recent recent months and years, really. But there were too many people to name outside of this person. But like they, a lot of people were upset about Nintendo's measures taking against emulators. Like we, we have a story on GameInformer.com where like uh, they pretty much killed a, uh, a GameCube emulator that was being put together by the community. Uh, they they put out the an, an update to the 3DS recently that killed like a modding, a popular modding tool that a lot of people were using. And then they this is this is from Svenstagram Live on Instagram said. The closure of the Nintendo eShop was one of the most disappointing events of the last year for me, not only as a Nintendo fan, but as a video games fan in general. I think it sets an alarming precedent for companies to suspend the sales of retro games, robbing young fans the opportunity to experience classic stories and gameplay without having to buy a marked up physical copy. Can we expect some of the 3DS and Wii U games to become available on the Switch store or maybe part of the Switch online subscription? So... I think that the we have a lot of Wii U games. So that is something that's like kind of like the elephant in the room to kind of address right off the bat out of this, the back of this question is that there are a ton of Wii U games already on the eShop. So that that's a good part of that. But the 3DS is going to be trickier because a lot of those games require that second screen that the Switch just does not offer. So that that would be a barrier to that. How do you feel about the, the closure of the eShop? Um... I think it's part of a broader dilemma that anybody who's into gaming is having to come to terms with right now. Um, and and not to, I don't mean to cast to cast too broad of a net here and expand the question outwards, but I think it's a it's something important to think about. And that uh, I know Brian, you and I have spoken about it a lot of times. I've spoken with other industry professionals about it, which is that like. Uh, games are in a weird space, especially now that so much is handled digitally. Um, with the understanding of like how to um, chronicle the history of games, right? And how to understand them when things can sort of like uh, be available and then made not available again, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, now that there's so much stuff, I, I mean, certainly in the case of Nintendo games, you have the advantage that uh, there are physical copies out there for, for stuff in most cases. Um but the you know the 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 person who wrote in the question is right right like it it can be hard to track that stuff down um and it's nice to know that there's a there's sort of robust support from the publisher uh to like what's the easiest way to be able to access this old stuff if you wanted to like let's say you got to be a fan of 
one of our franchises like Zelda or Metroid or Mario or whatever um, from a newer game and you want to like dive back into the catalog, how friendly can we make that as an experience? And I don't think there's any, I don't think there's any way around the idea that like the closer of that shop makes things harder. Right. Mm -hmm. So that's a bad thing. I I mean, like, I don't think we need to like mince words. It's like, Oh yeah, it's, it's, it's good because there's stuff available elsewhere. Um, That said, you're right that a lot of that stuff is being made available in other ways and that's good. Um, but I tend to, you know, like my mindset is always towards like, what's the most friendly thing for the consumer, for the gamer, um, that, and that should really be where, um, I I really tend to think like for companies, for game making companies, uh, that is both the right thing to do. And also probably the financially, um, smart thing to do, right? Because you build loyalty from, from your fans they recognize you as someone who is going to um, do right by them in the ways that you roll out your products. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, Nintendo has a lot of things they do right for their for its fans. Um, and uh, there's a reason why there's a lot of very loyal Nintendo folks out there. But I don't think this particular move on Nintendo part, Nintendo's part was friendly to, to gamers. Yeah, and in terms of like zeroing it in on kind of killing the modding community and Mm -hmm. uh, kind of dashing away some emulators, a lot of that stuff is more coming down. And you see it a lot with like fan games that like somebody will make like Mario 64 2 and people will be really excited about it and then they'll get hit with a cease and desist from Nintendo and they're very, very protective of their IPs. It's because if they don't, they can lose control of those IPs. Like some publishers have more of a laxed approach to it it seems like sega has really embraced the fan game community there are so many amazing sonic fan games out there and it seems like they're fine with it as long as you don't monetize it right like if somebody popped up on steam is like hey i'm selling my sonic game for 15 dollars," i have a feeling sega would probably kill that sure. very quickly but nintendo is less um less tolerant of that right like they don't mm-hmm. want somebody to make a mario game that isn't actually working at Nintendo. Mm-hmm. And that comes down a lot to IP law. And it's like their hands are pretty much tied. If they don't go after these people, there are loopholes people can make to like pretty much do whatever they want. And it's like, if you don't pursue everyone, like it, it can lead to, to legal troubles from my understanding and like IP control troubles. So, and obviously like Nintendo has a lot of really, really valuable intellectual properties. Mm-hmm. So they want to protect them. Yeah, that's a, that second part of that question is more complicated. Uh, there's no no two ways about it. Uh, on one side, you want to be able to support the community being enthusiastic about like interacting with the property the way that they like and having emulators and, and being able to mod things and all that kind of stuff is is you know uh, on the surface is very good. But you know, you when you surface it, when you you circle that back to something we were just talking about a little bit earlier, which is that like. Um, uh, Nintendo, when a new Nintendo game comes along in a given franchise, people are really excited about it. When a new Zelda comes out, when a new Mario game comes out, uh, it does very well. Tears comes out and it sells huge numbers. A new Mario game will come out and it will sell huge numbers. Um, they, they will keep the price, um, consistent for a long time on a given title after it launches, right? You'll still be seeing 
uh, Tears of the Kingdom uh, priced at full price, I bet, for a, <laughs> forever, yeah. right? Um, and uh, I don't know, you know, like you got to wonder whether part of that is, you know, on the kind of the darker side of it is like, we control our properties really tightly if, you know, you're, if it's Nintendo. Uh, we're, we're keeping, like, would there be that same excitement and that enthusiasm if there were um, 50 copycat games out there? Um, I don't know. I don't know the answer to that. Maybe the, alt- the other argument there is uh, maybe that would make people more excited. Um, but uh, certainly whatever we think about it, Nintendo has their answer, right? Which is that like, as far as they're concerned, those are properties that need to be protected uh, and that they're going to be pretty litigious about. Yeah. And they've shown that time and time again. Yeah. And uh, that's well within their rights, even if the yeah. community is not happy about it. And I understand the community's point of view too, but it's like they have to do it in order to maintain their, their brand integrity. So that's, that's kind of the answer to that. And it is very complicated and a lot of legal stuff that we would have to dig into. So we'll just leave it at that. Uh, Here's another popular one that popped up a lot. Um, (laughs) Almost word for word, the same, and I'm going to censor it here, but uh, high (laughs) Horus on Instagram and PXG on Twitter, both word for word, where the F is Metroid prime. Like they, they specifically are wanting Metroid Prime 4. And I mean, we have not heard anything about this game. Like it was announced, mm-hmm. I believe, right alongside the Switch, basically. Yeah. And then we heard that like, okay, well, you know, we're restarting development. I think this was like two or three years in. They were like, we have to start development from scratch because like it just wasn't going the right way. We're giving it to Retro Studios, which very, very good studio. And that is pretty much the last we heard of it. Uh, the The most recent rumblings that I have heard is I have a job posting from Nintendo that I'm looking at right now. And somebody, uh, a technical art manager at Retro Studios is saying, I'm looking to hire a technical artist to work at Retro Studios on Metroid Prime 4. I'm looking for candidates who are proficient in HLSL, which I'm not entirely sure what that is, and have experience with performance diagnostics and optimization. And then he lists two job listings for technical artists. So what that tells me is, you know, they have something there, but they're looking for somebody to come in and kind of optimize the way it runs and the way it looks and the way things load in and everything. So I would think that we're probably at least we have some some level of substance in Metroid Prime 4, but probably not quite there yet, if I had to guess, based <laughs> just purely on that job listing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, nice detective work there, uh, for one. Uh, it's, I, 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 the biggest takeaway there is, of course, like, it's still happening, clearly. They're still working on it, and one could hope that we would get word about it sometime soon. Um you know, I think if you if you listen to uh, folks like us a lot, sometimes we'll you know there'll be things that are shared, uh, literally like we have to sign NDAs about before we can have conversations about certain things. And sometimes there's things that we can know uh, that we can't immediately share because we're under those NDAs. And so we'll have to talk around questions like this in weird ways. This is not one of those things. <laughs> like, yeah. Metroid Prime is not a thing that we have. Some sort like that, uh, you know, 
I'm on the phone with Nintendo every other day talking with them about that title and, and uh, we know exactly when it's coming out. It's, it's, uh, it's as much of a mystery to us as it is to, to everybody, I think. Um, other than I, I do, th- I do think that it's, it's still in process, right? I think they're, um, my sense is that it's still, still maybe on the way we can all cross our fingers. Uh, we talked about, there's probably mm-hmm. going to be a Nintendo presentation here sometime in the coming months. Maybe we'll get to see it. That'd I would love cool. some some glimpse of it. I'm I'm my theory is that much in the way that Tears of the Kingdom seemed to take longer than Nintendo thought it was going to take, and to kind of fill that gap, yeah. they put out Skyward Sword HD. Yeah. I think that's why we may have gotten Metroid Prime remastered earlier mm-hmm. this year, which was a very, very good remaster. Mm-hmm. But it's still like, all right, well, this isn't quite what we're wanting, but it might be like, okay, let's renew interest in this spin-off series of the Metroid yeah. series because Metroid Dread did very well for them and then uh you know kind of reinvigorate the first person shooter corner of Metroid Prime or uh, of the Metroid series and maybe we'll get some news this summer like hey remember that awesome remaster we put out earlier this year yeah there's a new one coming and my hope is also that we'll get Metroid Prime 2 and 3 remastered for Switch mm-hmm. as well because you know those were that remaster was incredible and um, yeah, that's that's kind of what I think is going to happen with Metroid Prime 4 is we'll hear about it at some point this year, but I, I would have to say release date would have to be next year at the earliest, but I, I'd be happy to be wrong about that. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I think you're right. I mean, Nintendo is a very careful company with its, its schedules of releases and things like that. I don't think I, uh, I'm with you. I wouldn't read it as, a, as just a coincidence that we saw that surprise Metroid Prime, like the original, um, drop. Um, and it was a great remaster. Everybody thought it was very cool. Um, you get the sense that that was like, you know, let's let's try to make sure that people remember how good this thing is, right? And I think mm-hmm. you do that when you're, you're getting closer to being able to actually, like, um, do something cool. Yeah, I mean, it's. I'm hoping that that was me reading into it in the right way, and not like, okay, it's going to be another few years because <laughs> we could be, we could be wrong. But I, I, yeah, I'm with you. I don't think that's what it is. Yeah. Um. So let's let's see. I'm seeing where we want to go from here. We have about another twenty or thirty minutes to go here. So, um, talked about the 3ds being shut down, and then also an update to kind of kill off current and existing 3ds modding uh how about we talk about some remakes a little bit and this comes from snkhn on instagram and then there's a follow-up from karm on facebook um so one of them from sn says why don't we see more zelda franchise remakes i badly need ocarina of time and then karm on facebook says is it just me or has nintendo only done remasters and never remakes so I guess like kind of those go hand in hand. The, the immediate one that I can think of is Link's Awakening. That is definitely a remake. And, you know, it's actually gotten a couple of remakes if you look at it, because there was also Link's Awakening DX and then uh, the Link's Awakening on Switch. But outside of that, we don't really get a whole lot of remakes. Like there was a rumor for a long time that we were going to get a Zelda 2 remake. That never really came to fruition. We... You know, we, we've heard time and time again, we've seen fans do like 
an Unreal Engine Ocarina of Time, and it looks incredible. And then, you know, either Nintendo steps in and kills it or whatever. <laughs> there was uh, the Metroid 2 uh, remake that fans were making, and then Nintendo killed that because it turns out they had uh, Metroid Samus Returns on 3DS coming out like a year later. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, there's examples of Nintendo doing remakes, but they are fewer and further between than the remasters. Like we've mm-hmm. talked about already on this episode, Skyward Sword HD. We've talked about Metroid Prime remastered. Tons of remasters coming from the Wii U era into the Switch era. So why do you think that is? Like they don't really remake their games. They more remaster them. Do we want more remakes? Is that a thing? <laughs> I mean, I they're mean, the like quality I, of like I, something like Resident Evil 4. question the premise, right? But like... I don't know. I, I tend to like. If I, I guess I feel like Nintendo is making the right call there. Um, I, I, you know, like everything. Is, there's finite resources, right? Like every every company, even somebody big like Nintendo, has a limited number of development teams that they can throw at a thing, um, and throw at a given franchise. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and you know, the choice to do a remake. I mean, a remake is you're kind of doing a whole new game, right? Uh, uh, remaster is different, right? Like if you're just basically gonna like spruce up the graphics to one degree or another, um, there's ones that are dramatic reinventions of the of the production values and the presentation and stuff like that. But, but basically you're talking about like, let's uh, bring the tech up to date and the, and the graphics up to date and all that kind of stuff. Whereas like if you're talking about a remake, you're talking about... Um, uh, kind of redesigning levels and storytelling and and like a lot of stuff. And I tend to be of the mindset that we would want new stuff, right? Like I'd rather have um, just to pick something out of thin air. I guess I'd rather have like Tears of the Kingdom DLC than um, a uh, a remake of an old Zelda game. Um, generally speaking. But maybe mm-hmm. it's just me. I don't know. What, what do you What do you think? I think that they they seem to take the approach that like we want to make something new mm-hmm. instead of making something that you know people have already played. Yeah, yeah. Like I, I think the Link's Awakening is a very good example because uh, of like where there was a place that was like that had value. Uh, like that that recent um, remake of that game had a lot of value because I think a lot of people had never encountered that game. Uh, it was a game that uh, was missed in its early incarnation. I think it's fair to say by a, by a large percentage of the gaming population. Yeah. And so uh, having a way to kind of like, yeah, this is what that story was. And this is this like weird twist on the Zelda mythology that maybe you never got to, but we're going to like, we're going to bring it up to date. We're going to remake the game that felt like it was new and it was worthwhile. But um, I think maybe something like Link to the Past, much as as we've discussed already today, Link to the Past is an amazing game. Um, But I don't know if I'd need it again. Uh, I think when I want to play Link to the Past, I'm pretty happy to have it be um, the old visuals. Mm -hmm. Yeah. and just the way they are. And I think if they're, if like some of the puzzles or where certain things were or where I could like uh, blow a bomb up and have a secret door appear, if those like were in different places, it might just kind of bug me. 
<laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> like it's uh, like there's some of those games uh, that you're they kind of like fit in this weird nostalgic place in your head that you kind of don't want them to have to be remade because they're they're just perfect the way that they were for their time. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, that's kind of oh. where where I fall. I I, I think uh, to maybe answer the more the question more directly, I think that's probably where Nintendo is as well, and why we don't see more stuff. Yeah. And I think that like we did kind of touch on this topic. Oh God, when was it? Um, either last episode or the episode before where it was like, which Zelda game would you like to see remade in kind of the Breath of the Wild Tears of the Kingdom format? Mm-hmm. Like just remake this game, but with like the big open world. My choice easily off the bat was Ocarina of Time. Like it would be cool to have like a Hyrule field that resembles like the Breath of the Wild format where it's just so open, you can go anywhere and kind of like, because Breath of the, or uh, Ocarina of Time really gave us the definition and the blueprint and the foundation for all 3D games that followed it for like pretty much the next 10 or 15 years. Mm-hmm. It, I mean, it invented the the Z targeting, which is just, mm-hmm. it, we still use like, hey, you can press down the stick to lock on to an enemy that you're fighting. Mm-hmm. And I would like to see like that, carried over into like the modern Zelda format if they were going to do one. I mean, but on the same, same note, like link to the past would be a prime candidate for that because that's also like a game where it's like, you can just go anywhere and like do things in different order and everything. But I don't think I would want that as badly as like modernizing another 3d Zelda game to, to play like that. But Ocarina of time is almost as close to perfect as any game. Just like a link to the past is pretty close as well. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't know if it's needed to remake a lot of these Zelda games because, you know, so many of them are already some of the greatest games in their genres. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of where I, I stand on it. But speaking of games that like we just need access to, and these are all pretty much remasters, we have a few people here. We have Essaboy in on Instagram saying, please, please, please bring in a port of Super Mario Galaxy 2 and then adds the caveat. I understand the development of that game back in 2010 was not at all pleasant. So I understand if they want, don't want to revisit it. And then uh, the Dean's Wellness on Instagram has a little bit more of a broad demand. Twilight Princess and Wind Waker need a port to switch as well as any GameCube or Zelda game ever. <laughs> and then Sam I am 546 says, where is Twilight Princess and Wind Waker HD? So I guess the the question here that I'll pose to you playing off these these responses are if you could bring any game to switch from the past, what would it be? Oof. Um, I think some of the ones that you surfaced are ones that would be up there for me as well. Mm-hmm. Um Galaxy 2 is one that I thought I remember playing that game and just really loving it. And it's hard to um, it's hard to access right these days. Um, I. I, uh, I think probably, um, it, you know, it, it's weird that this fits together with some of the, the earlier questions we were talking about, about like the closure of the eShop and things like that. I think in an ideal world, we would see the Switch and see Nintendo embrace Switch as a way to just like, this is the Nintendo platform, right? Like if there's something that's been on Nintendo, um, we want to give you a way to play it here. 
And, mm-hmm. you know, there's some of that going on, right? There, you could certainly make the argument that they're, they've done a lot of that, but there are some glaring holes that make it hard for somebody who's trying to be comprehensive of their understanding of a given franchise. And that's frustrating, right? Yeah. Uh, and I would think it's even more frustrating for, you know, like, in my case, if I go to the trouble, I can dig through my closet and I can find my old consoles, blow into some cartridges and have a pretty decent chance that I can get something started up. Um, But if you don't still have your consoles or you're a younger gamer who's gotten into this stuff more recently, you don't really have that option. Um, And again, tracking down physical both consoles as well as the games connected to them could be a really expensive proposition. Um, Yeah, I mean, I don't have my Wii U still plugged in. As much as I'd love to replay Wind Waker HD or Twilight Princess HD, I'd have to dig through my storage and find like an HDMI port that's open, which is a rarity on, on most of my right, TVs. Right. right. Um, and also have a clunky gamepad sitting around on my, my end table. So yeah, <laughs> I would love it if that, those came to switch. I'd say that way too often on this podcast, so we won't dwell too much on it. Uh, but yeah, those are definitely up there for me. It's Super Mario Galaxy 2. It's just such a weird thing that they never put that out. Yeah. As part of, especially as they, they put out Mario 3D All Stars, it and should have Mario been on 64, there. Sunshine and Galaxy One. Like, why was yeah. Galaxy Two not included? Galaxy Two should have been in that collection. It really should have. I, I mean, I get that it was, um, uh, again, limited resources and all that kind of stuff. But like, that's that's the place that that should have lived. I think. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I we streamed Mario Galaxy Two. Kyle Hilliard and I. Um, I want to say a couple weeks ago now. It might have been last Friday for all I know, but it, it feels like a couple weeks ago. And we were talking about why is this not on here? And we thought maybe it was like the Yoshi sequences because you actually have to use motion controls on that. But it's like mm. it could have been a way to rework that. Mm-hmm. And the other option, the other idea was like, oh, well, maybe they just wanted kind of like three distinct play styles for this. But I don't know. Like there's just really no good answer as to why it is. I posited that maybe they'll eventually put it out as like, all right, this is like a $15 piece of DLC that you can buy for Mario 3D All-Stars. But that would almost inevitably have to come with the relisting of Mario 3D All-Stars because for some stupid reason, they delisted it from the eShop. I understand if you don't want to do any more physical runs of that game, but why delist it from the eShop? It's supposed to be a celebration of Mario. I understand like, you know, Mario 35, which was like kind of like the Battle Royale Mario right. experience. They, you know, they only ran that for a little bit. And okay, whatever. That that requires like live servers and everything. But it costs them nothing to give people the ability to buy a collection of three of the best Mario games of all time. Yeah. Why is that yeah. no longer an option? I, I mean, my presumption anytime I see a decision like that is, is that it's a company uh thinking ahead to things that they're going to include in some thing we don't know about yet or some uh, subscription program that they're going to expand right like so even though we don't necessarily have the answer to why it's not there anymore that's usually my guess is that they're you know like it's it's taking value away in the immediate term to add value, perceived value, to a thing that they're going to launch later on. And and by the way, I don't think Nintendo is unique in this regard, right? Like every game company is is doing those those uh, forms of calculus these days. Mm-hmm. Um, doesn't make it any less frustrating, though. Hey, everybody wants their own subscription service. I, they do. 
I mean, yeah. hey, Mario 64 is on the Switch uh, N64 catalog, but also on Mario 3D All-Stars. So, I mean, if that does come to pass and we get like a GameCube and Wii collection, you know, Mario Galaxy and Mario Sunshine would probably be among the first games added to that. So that, that would check out. Yeah. I mean, you you can do that. You can think about that uh, again, like dollars and cents. Right. Uh, And, uh, you know, certainly there's a there's a component of uh, your community's goodwill. You don't want to breach that too much. That said, uh, on that dollars and cents front, if you have like there's a game you really want to play, like let's say it's Mm -hmm. Galaxy 2 and you've been wanting to play it. You may either you loved it and you don't have the the uh, disc anymore or you never got to play it and you really, you know, you, you really always want it to. Um, and there's a way to play it for relatively cheap by buying a collection, right? Mm-hmm. Like, let's say they put it into that um, 3D All-Stars game. Um, or somewhere down the road, it's available as part of a subscription program that you're going to um, pay Nintendo $10 or $20 a month or whatever, whatever it is. I don't, I don't know. For some revamped version of their subscription thing. Um, and then you can play that game and like 50 other games that are also really good. Um, they'd much rather have you subscribe, right? Every company in the world wants subscriptions because subscriptions stick around, Mm -hmm. uh, generally speaking, and people keep doing them. Um, so that's the, that's the math they do. That's why it happens that way. I'm pretty sure. I am waiting Um, for the breaking point on the subscription bubble because it, there are so many subscriptions. I remember it was like, oh, I get Netflix and cancel uh, Netflix and Hulu and cancel my cable. And now it's yeah. like, all right, now I have to get Peacock and Paramount Plus and Max and all these other stupid services. I actually went through and purged a lot of my subscriptions last week. Yeah. yeah and yeah. it's like yeah, the chopping block is getting easier and easier to, to put stuff on because there's just so many. And even on the gaming side, I have Nintendo Switch Online. I have Xbox Game Pass Ultimate. I have PlayStation Plus Premium. Yeah, it's like all right. What and like EA it, wants me to subscribe to theirs, and Ubisoft wants me to subscribe to theirs. And it's like I, I can't, guys. Like I yeah, really can't. Cer- it certainly increasingly is one of those things that one has to be selective about where do you want to put your entertainment dollars, and um, uh, can be a tricky. Yeah, um, we have time for only a few more here. Uh, this comes from that guy Garrick on Instagram. Quick and easy. Top three Game Boy Advance games. Ooh. Uh, you want to go first? You want me to? I'll go first. Yeah. And it's funny because I didn't play a ton of Game Boy Advance growing up, but I've gone back and experienced the catalog quite a bit in Mm -hmm. my later years. And looking at my favorite games to play on those systems, all three of them are remakes, which is very funny to think about, or, or I guess in one case, a remaster when we were just talking about Nintendo remakes. So at number three, I have Metroid Zero Mission, which was a remake of the original Metroid on NES. And that was just a great reimagining of that game, made it modernized. It gave you the map that the original one did not have, which is now a a series and genre staple. Mm -hmm. And it just made it infinitely more playable while adding an epilogue where Samus is fighting space pirates. So Mm -hmm. that's a very fun game. And I, I really want that to be added to the Game Boy Advance catalog on Switch. Right now, I think we just have Fusion. Uh, number two, I'm going to say Pokemon Fire Red and Leaf Green. Okay. Uh, same reasons as before. It remade one of my favorite games of all time in Pokemon Red and Blue. And, uh, you know, added a bunch of stuff, made the graphics look amazing. I, I really enjoy, like, the 16-bit look of the Game Boy Advance. 
And I, I think that that's kind of when Pokemon looks its sharpest is kind of like that Game Boy Advance and DS era, I think are my favorite art styles for Pokemon. Mm. So it's nice to see my favorite games kind of made in that style. And then uh, number one is A Link to the Past with Four Swords. Not only did you get arguably the greatest game of all time in terms of like pure design conventions, but you also get a little side all new game. That's yeah. why I liked Mario 3D World plus Bowser's Fury so much. It's one of my favorite 3D Mario games. But then you also get a side dish of something new. And that's what this gave us. And I bought it for A Link to the Past. And I ended up playing a decent amount of Four Swords as well. So let's hear your top three. Yeah. Um, I think uh, Castlevania Aria of Sorrow is very high on my list. Mm. I love that game. Uh, this was the third of the, I think the third um game boy entry of the castlevania ones but it was my favorite uh, this is the one where you play soma cruise um and you have the like the tactical souls system um a good castlevania games like this uh like aria of sorrow and um uh symphony of the night are right up there for me with you know we talked earlier about like my, my replay of super metroid right um, I think uh, some of the Castlevania games, the better ones, have that same quality where it's very enjoyable to like play it all the way through and that it, let it fade into uh, the back of your memory for some time and come back to it a few years later. Um, and uh, Aria holds up in that way because of the distinctness of the the different uh, attacks that you can get access through to by by capturing all these different souls. Mm-hmm. Um and it was just a really well-designed um, uh, version of the Castlevania castle to move through and and uh, explore. So um, I, I think a lot of people might have missed those those um, portable entries. In and there the is a Castlevania of- Advance collection that is available on, I think, every platform, but also Switch. I, that's where I bought it, and yeah. I'm... I'm excited to dive into that eventually. They're really they're they're really good. But Aria Aria is my favorite. For what it's worth, by the way, you can kind of play those. And I, I mean, they sort of uh, dovetail one to the other. But I think you should feel fine playing anyone in whatever order you want. Mm. Um, and Aria would be fine to start with. Um, I like the other GBA Metroid game, Metroid Fusion. Uh, Zero Mission's awesome, um, but I, I like Fusion. Fusion was weird. Um, I, I think. Do you think it's the weirdest Metroid game? Ooh, probably. Because you have like that parasite that yeah, like steals Samus's suit, and that was actually the foundation for the God. What were they called? The Emmy robots right, in Dread. Right. Because they were like, oh, well, that was kind of a fun thing the way you had to hide from this thing. Mm-hmm. And you were powerless against it. And that's what they basically applied to the entire game in Dread. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was very, it was unusual. It had this somewhat convoluted plot that I I recall in the at the time sort of being fascinated by. Because, I don't know, the Metroid games, uh, the prior Metroid games, I felt like were pretty simplistic in this regard. And... Mm-hmm. Uh, not not necessarily to their detriment either, right? Like sometimes the Metroid stories were just like, you're a bounty hunter, you're on this alien planet, you gotta you gotta go kill some stuff, right? Like, and that was that was as much as you really needed. Here you had these kind of weird um, uh, plot developments around the the infection that she had, and like I'm gonna blow up this space station, and I've got my 
my my my ship's computer AI is now my buddy and and fa- factors into the story in weird ways and uh, it was it had all sorts of weird little twists and turns on top of just being a great Metroid game um, for sure. So I like that one. Uh, I think my other one's Minish Cap. Uh, I again I. I I, I think I gravitate sometimes to uh, some of these like established franchises when they do interesting new twists. Um, and Minish Cap had that, right? Like it, in some ways it was a callback to uh, like Link to the Past kind of thing. But, uh, but, you know, the whole shrinking dynamic was like, oh, that's so cute and clever. Um, and I, I have fond thoughts about it as a result. I know that's one of Kyle's favorite games, mm-hmm. like for for the Zelda franchise. That is actually a game I've never played. Oh man, yeah, I think you dig it. It's good. Yeah, it's it's. I think probably now that I've beaten Majora's Mask, finally, I think that's probably next on my list. Or I thought about being a masochist and trying Zelda two, like trying to get through Zelda two for the first time. Oh, oh god! Just to say I've done it. <laughs> so, I've. Uh, I know there are defenders of Zelda two. So I won't uh, I won't go to town trying to tear it apart, but I will just say that I am not one of its defenders. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot that that game tries, but uh, I think that it it was a pretty frustrating game from the times that I have yeah. spent trying to like any, make any kind of meaningful progress on it. Yeah. Um, but let's end on a Zelda question here. This comes from Troidal Power on Discord. And they say, if you could pull one specific element, i.e. character, item, or area, from a past Zelda game into the next Breath of the Wild line, what would it be? As much as the traversal is a blast in both Breath of the Wild and Tears of the Kingdom, I miss the hook shot. Even if it functioned like the one in Halo Infinite, I think it could be a blast in the open world Hyrule. Is there anything that comes to mind that like you really miss of like kind of the more classic style of Zelda titles? Uh, you know, I miss, I, 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 don't get me wrong. I think the new model for gameplay is very, very good. We talked before about how, how great tears is and, and all that kind of stuff. Uh, but I do have a fond place in my heart for the, um, the gradual growth of these different pieces of equipment that you're getting, um, across the, you know, you go into the dungeon one and then dungeon two and dungeon three. And each one of them, you're like, I got the boomerang and I got the hook shot. And uh, it's more of a um, uh, a gradual growth, I, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Tears of the Kingdom, maybe too, in its defense, uh, it gives you pretty much everything um, very early with the possible exception of the optional power that I guess, I don't know, maybe that's a spoiler. Is that a spoiler to talk about the optional power? No, I think it's been out long enough. Okay. But like, uh, but like it suffice to say, like you, you get most, you can, you can get almost everything very early in the game without going into it. But that was also, yeah, the, the way Breath of the Wild did it, right? Where yep. you got pretty much all the tools you need to solve every puzzle very, right early, like before you mm-hmm. leave the Great Plateau. Exactly. And, uh, I think, you know, maybe when I play Breath of the Wild, one of the reasons I didn't love it as much was that, right? Like, I, I missed that about the formula of Zelda uh, a little bit. Um, 
so I don't know. That's kind of a meandering way of saying like I miss all of them sometimes. <laughs> um, I will say that like you ask this question the next time one comes around. And I don't know how they move that franchise forward if you don't continue offering that building uh, stuff, like the Ultra Hand stuff. It yeah. feels like in one fell swoop that change. I mean, like you could you could conceivably get rid of Ascend, right? Like Ascend's very cool. I like the way that it changes puzzles. Yeah, and replace it with the hook shot that this uh, uh, this listener wrote in. Sure, like you could do any number of things that are like like that, but. But Ultra Hand as a as a mechanic and the way that it changes the way that you think about interacting with the game world feels now like just like that's just I don't know it's sort of part of Zelda now uh, as far as I'm concerned uh, I don't know how you do another one and not have people be disappointed that they I don't know can't make giant laser mechs or <laughs> you know sailboats or whatever out of the uh, the things that they encounter in the world. Yeah, it really is kind of like the Super Smash Brothers conundrum at this point, where it's like, <laughs> if they wanted to do a new Super Smash Brothers game, which they almost certainly will at some point, yeah, how do they top Ultimate? Like, do, right. do they just go back to basics? We're like, all right, there's only eight or 12 characters in this one. Let's just see how we can build over time. Like, maybe they turn it, like, put in a 12-character roster, and then, like, they treat it as a platform over 10 years, and just, like, by the end of it, you'll have all the characters. But, like... I feel like even that would have backlash because mm-hmm. it's like, oh, well, you guys gave us everyone last time. And that's how people are going to be with the Zelda franchise, probably, yeah. where it's like, I can't build a sailboat in this one. <laughs> right. Right. Uh, so I don't know. I, I don't know if I have any. Uh, I'm, I've, I guess I've diverted some from the uh, spirit of the original question, which I don't know if I have one that's that's definitive. I mean, you can you can have boomerangs in uh in tears right yeah. um uh, but there it's not like the piece of equipment in the way that it was in the past like that that was always the one i always really looked forward to uh in old style zelda games i really liked the boomerang because i liked the, uh, the the way it would often play into puzzles that you'd like fling it out and you pull something back to you which i thought was really neat and i also liked that it was a pretty reliable ranged weapon usually uh that you didn't have to worry about ammo for um and uh so i always uh, back in the day that was always sort of like i'm counting down time until i get my boomerang yeah uh so that might be my my answer i guess but you just got to go to jabu jabu's belly right exactly um so i have three that i guess i mean if i these are kind of all stretches the one of them i absolutely want the other two are like oh we've kind of started to get that more um the first one that i absolutely want is i want a greater emphasis on storytelling like Tears of the Kingdom made more strides towards like making its characters more well-developed. And especially that opening sequence where Ganondorf comes back to life is just one of the greatest openings I can remember in a video mm-hmm. game. Like it's, it's, he's horrifying. It, it's, it sets the tone. Great. You don't like, it explains why Link suddenly doesn't have like all of his power. Like, because, you know, like a lot of sequels, we've talked about this when you were uh, reviewing Star Wars Jedi Survivor. It's like they don't take away all your powers and make you rebuild from scratch. They let you continue Cal Kestis's journey of becoming a more powerful Jedi. Mm. And that's something that was really cool about that game. And Tears of the Kingdom starts out, you have the, the full force link and he has all of his hearts and he has the master sword that's fully powered up. But then Ganondorf just like 
infects his body with the gloom. It destroys the master sword. And it's like, that explains in, in universe why Link suddenly has to kind of rebuild from scratch. And outside of that though, like it, there are moments where the storytelling is really great, but I, I still feel like it's not up to the level that like a game like Twilight Princess or Wind Waker or even Ocarina of Time would be if that style of game came out in 2023. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like there's just not kind of the emphasis. And I know that that's largely in part uh, due to the fact that you're given this big open world to explore and you can experience the story at your own pace. And that probably makes it so that there's larger gaps between the story beats. Like I know I went probably 10 or 15 hours at a time without getting any real progression in the story. And that's my doing, right? If I want to just do, all right, I want to do this dungeon, then this dungeon, then this dungeon, then this dungeon. Then I want to go to Hyrule Castle and do this. And I want to do this. And like, if I wanted to do that, I could, and I would be, you know, I'd I'd get a very truncated experience of, you know, maybe 20, 25 hours with a lot of story beats. Mm -hmm. I think that that, is one way that I could experience it. But I, I think that it's just a, ch- it's a challenge given the open world, um, the open world format. And they did, a, again, made great strides in the, the tears of the kingdom release. But I think that there are still some ways they could improve it. Mm-hmm. Uh, the other one that I really wanted to bring up though, was just kind of the return of traditional dungeons, which again, we did get in tears of the kingdom, but I think that there's, there, there are plenty of ways they could do more with it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the storytelling, the, the storytelling thing's a weird one, isn't it? Right, like uh, I like I'm trying to figure out how to talk about this without spoiling things. About I mean, I'm not even done with Tears of the Kingdom, but um, the more substantial and interesting story in that game, uh, I think this is a way I can talk about it without spoiling it, is not the one that you're playing through. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Uh, and uh, and it's the one, like, for the first time, one of the, I, I, I've, I found myself thinking about this last night. It's it, it feels to me like the first time that it is a follow-through on, like, what the actual name of the franchise is, which I really love um, about Tears of the Kingdom. Uh, the idea that it is, the, like, the legend of Zelda, right? Yeah. Um, I thought was, I think is so cool. Um, I consistently over the years, like, I, I don't know, I find Zelda the more interesting character. Um, and there's uh, partially it's because, you know, they uh, more recently have given her voice where they still have held back on that with, for Link. Um, but uh, it's also just like a, a more interesting character for me frequently of this sort of like conflicted character who has magic powers, but you know, doesn't have the always the strength that she needs to, to like solve the problem herself. And um, I don't know. I, I, I would love to see a game that more fully embraces, like let's, let's make Zelda the lead <laughs> Just yeah. straight up. Um, I mean, a lot of people were theorizing when that Tears of the Kingdom or Breath of the Wild sequel, I guess it was called at the time, when it was revealed, and they were kind of like exploring the caves together. They're like, oh, is this going to be like a co-op game? Or can you switch between the characters or whatever? And that that would have been cool. Yeah. I mean, Uh, don't get me wrong. Tears is awesome. I don't need... We're not trying to like re-change what it is or anything like that. Um, And Link Link is a fun character to, to rediscover every time we get to 
to get back in there. But he's not, uh, you know, by by on purpose, he's not really a character, right? Like he's always, he's that, he's perhaps the most classic of those like video game foils of like, this is you in the game, right? Yeah. Um, and they've always really stuck to that. Um, uh, so I, I don't know, I guess I'm maybe just echoing what you're saying. I'd like to see a, a greater investment <clears throat> in, that storytelling uh, dynamic. And I think uh, the character of Zelda might be the place to do that. Um, you don't think you need to take Link out of the equation, but I think you could flip the script, right? Um, you could imagine a Tears of the Kingdom be a very different game, of course, and whatever. But you could imagine a, a version of the game where uh, instead of losing all his hearts at the beginning, Link dies. Uh, yeah. And Zelda is forced to like deal with the situation in front of her uh, and saving her own kingdom without, you know, her stalwart knight by her side. Could you imagine if that was like a twist that they threw in and like (laughs) amazing, right? All the, all the link scenes that we saw in pre-release gameplay was just like flashback stuff or something or flashbacks. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Uh, That would be the ultimate twist in a video game, right? Like, the character that you thought you were going to be playing for like the next hundred hours <laughs> actually dies in the opening sequence. Yeah. That I mean, would very been... Metal Gear Solid too, right? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> that would have been unbelievable. Anyway, I feel like Kyle and I would have not been able to hold back like on like the big spoilers. <laughs> if right. We, if right. that's what happens. Right. Uh, but we touched on so many topics over the course of this and believe it or not, for all the topics we touched on, there's even more that are left over. So I'll have to do another one of these in the near future. Um, and hopefully people will send in more because I always love seeing what's on the minds of all the listeners and all the members of the community. Um, just real quick before we wrap up here, I do have a programming note for next week's episode. I am going to be again on the road. So the episode coming out, I want to hold it in order to get like some of the news out of Summer Game Fest. And also I will be meeting with uh, some games industry luminaries while I'm out in Los Angeles for Summer Game Fest. And I'm the hope is that I will be able to have some of those interviews that I will be having with these people on the episode. So as such, it's entirely likely that next week's All Things Nintendo will not hit until later in the day on Friday, as I will be out on the West Coast or even on Saturday morning. So just keep that in mind. If it doesn't show up in your feeds, it is uh, entirely likely it is it is just a result of all of the uh, the stuff going on out there and trying to be as timely as possible with these episodes. Um, but other than that, you know, I, I'm still planning on doing an episode while I'm out there. It might end up being the second ever live in-person episode of All Things Nintendo last year at this same time. When we were out for Summer Game Fest, uh, Alex Stadnick joined me for the first ever in-person episode, and this is going to be hopefully the second in-person episode. So look forward to that. But again, just keep in mind, it might be a little bit later given the timing of everything that's going on out in Los Angeles that week. Um, But yeah, Matt, thank you so much for joining me for this week's episode. It was great having you on for the first time. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for uh, pulling me in and um, happy to have a chance to chat about some awesome Nintendo games. And thank you so much to everyone for listening. Do me a favor, if you haven't already, throw All Things Nintendo a five-star review and hit that subscribe button. If you want to get any additional questions or comments in, you can get in touch with me at allthingsnintendo at gameinformer.com or hit me up on Instagram at Brian Pichet. 
And then as so many people mentioned in this episode already did, you can join the Game Informer Community Discord, which is a perk for subscribing to our Twitch channel, even just for one month. Matt, I know you're not a big social media guy, but is there anywhere people can find you online or can look for anything that you put out? Yeah, we can, you, people are always welcome to come check out my Twitter uh, at Matthew R. Miller. Um, uh, but uh, it's uh, it's not one that I keep especially active. I think usually when I have things that I wanna I wanna share, I, I roll those out as as part of uh, you know our coverage of Game Informer. So um, you know check out our our uh, official channels and. Um, We've uh, always got new new shows and uh, and stories that we're, we're watching. All right. Thank you so much again, Matt. That is our show for this week. Thank you all again for listening. Take care. We'll see you next time.